0: Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. I want to share a message with you from Ephesians 3 entitled... Technicolored Grace. Technicolored Grace. If you've taken notes this morning, and I do recommend that you do, uh, you can go ahead and write that down. Technicolored Grace. I was writing this message in a coffee shop early one morning this week, and as I was sitting there, I was so excited as God just started unlocking some stuff for me. In fact, at first, I was just kind of reading through Ephesians 3 and just making little notes, and as I was making those notes, God started to just open my eyes to a few things, and, um, and it was just incredibly powerful. So I trust that this is going to encourage you today. But this week, every now and again, uh, I'll do this. I'll, I, I, I'll sit on the couch. If I've got five minutes that I just want to relax a little bit, I'll go and sit on the couch, and I would see what uh, videos uh, or documentaries or shows YouTube would offer up to me as a suggestion, right? And uh, some of you may have done that, you know, where Facebook Watch or YouTube or one of them will just kind of suggest a video. And, and my suggested videos are almost always completely sports highlights, okay? So that's what the algorithm has figured out, that if we show this guy any kind of a sport, even if it's some random sport from some ice-covered Scandinavian country, he's going to watch it all. And so this week, it offered up uh, a rodeo, some bull riding, you know, somewhere from the Midwest of the USA, some Ruth is pumped, uh, Joe's pumped. Come on, the bull riding. I don't know if they do bull riding in Chicago or uh, no, probably not. No, uh, Illinois is a little different. But but down mid south, Midwest, they would definitely be bull riding. And so I'm always amazed that this is a sport. I'm always amazed that people decided, let's see how long we can stay on this bull. And at some point they figured out after eight seconds, you die. So let's just make it eight seconds. If you're on, we'll, you know, we'll hit the buzzer. Everyone can jump off and it's good. And I've always thought that South Africans are really just Texans with a different accent, right? Like especially the, especially the Afrikaans guys, especially the guys from Bloemfontein. I reckon if we sent, if we sent a couple of Afrikaners from Bloom to Texas, they would ride those bulls with pluckies. I'm telling you now, short shorts, you know what they do in the free state when it gets cold in winter? They just put on two pairs of shorts. Right? And so, and so I was watching this and I'm always amazed by it. And uh, this clip came up of, um, of a boy, uh, 18 years old, riding a bull. His name's Cody Hooks. And he comes out of the gate. And as he comes out of the gate, within the first second or two, his head hits the bull's horn and he is knocked completely unconscious. So he is now, his grip is let go and he flies off of the bull and he's now lying helplessly on the ground and he's unable to get up. Normally in this situation, you'll have guys that will distract the bull. And while they distract the bull, the rider would jump up and get out of the ring and get to safety. But in this instance, Cody Hooks is knocked out cold and there is nobody to help him. And before long, the bull turns around with all of its wrath, with all of its rage. It's still only at like second six or something. It's still got a lot of energy to go. It comes straight for Cody lying on the ground. And as I watched that, I, you know, my, my heart started pounding, just wondering what, how this ended and what happened uh, to this boy. Incredibly, a spectator jumps out of the crowd, comes into the ring and lies on top of Cody's lifeless body, covering his head and allowing the bull to hit him instead of Cody himself used his own body, laid down his own life, endangered his own self in order to save this young man's life in the bull ring. I, I showed the video to my wife and she was saying, but why do people do stupid things, right? And the truth is sometimes we do stupid things. What was even more amazing, however, is, that, is when I found out that this wasn't just any spectator, it was actually Cody Hooks' father, Landis Hooks, who jumped on his own boy in order to save his life. I thought I would just share the clip with you for one moment. that is a picture of the gospel that's what we're talking about do you think it would have helped if i ran into that ring when cody was lying on the floor there looked at him with every bit of motivational energy i could muster and say cody get up you can do it you can save yourself what would the result have been you see he's helpless he's hopeless He doesn't have the ability to pick himself up. And so the gospel is not a message where we come to you and give you good advice about how you can save yourself. You are knocked out cold. The gospel is the message that when we could do nothing to save ourselves, God the Father entered the ring through his son Jesus and laid down his own life to save you and me. Come on. That's the gospel. And that's for everyone. You're thinking, well, I'm I'm a little bit helpless. I'm a little bit hopeless. Yes, we all were. That's why this is the good news. That's why this is the message of the gospel. That bull had knocked Cody completely unconscious and helpless. And none of the motivation we could have given him in that moment would have saved him. And so the gospel is not good advice, it is not self-help, it is not motivational speaking. All of us were in that position that Ephesians 2 spoke about that I read last week in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 2 and verse 12 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of of this world. You were just being led by the prince of the power of the air. You were simply there was a spirit at work within you through sin, which is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There was there was something greater than you that had taken control of you. Death and sin reigned in our lives and we simply were slaves to sin, simply following the course of this world. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of israel and strangers to the covenants of promises of promise god's promise and his covenant and his salvation meant nothing to us we were strangers to it having no hope and without god in the world that's all of us that's the position that we were in without jesus but you see love is the most powerful force in the universe When you've been around a little bit of time on this earth, when you've been wowed by all the money and the structures and the fame and the whatever, and you've come to the point where you actually realize that many people who hold those things or have those things know very little about life. You come to understand that those things are not the things that fulfill, that are not powerful, that do not move, that do not shape. But what actually shapes is love. In fact, love shaped this world. God created this world because he loves, because he is love. It was the impetus for creation. It's the reason why you exist today, because God loves. And love, much like the wind, is invisible. We cannot see the wind. We can only see the effects of the wind. We can only see when the wind is put into action. In the same way, the love of God, though it was invisible and people didn't know it, and perhaps you don't even, haven't even come to realize it today yet, it was put into action. So that we could all see God's love. So that we could all feel God's love. So that we could all know God's love. And what was that action? When Jesus stepped into the ring. When Jesus stepped into this world. The love of Cody Hooks' father was evidenced by his actions. He sheltered his own son from the wrath of this raging bull. And in the same way when the wrath of the, of the law that we had all broken, when the wrath of justice was hanging over our heads, when we, were, we know that we were all guilty and we were all to be punished. Instead, Jesus fell on us, held us, covered us and took the punishment upon himself. And in that moment, we were all saved. Every single one of us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates demonstrates, shows, makes real, makes known, puts into action his own love toward us, towards you and I, in that while we were still sinners, knocked out cold, hopeless and helpless, Christ died for us. Jesus died for you. And he died for you because God loves you. And it is my sincere prayer that every single one of us would understand that to the depths, to the core of our being, To the point where it shapes and informs our very identity. This is what Paul wants the church to know. We were all helpless and hopeless, sitting in darkness, waiting for death to toss us like a rag doll into the grave. We couldn't run away from the wrath of the moral law. We couldn't get free from our own slavery to sin. But Jesus stepped in and took that wrath upon himself. And here's what Paul is getting to as he moves into Ephesians 3. He's saying that even though people didn't understand this before, this was actually God's plan all along. This is actually what God wanted to do right from the very beginning when sin entered into, uh, into humanity. And the spirit of sin and the spirit of death began to be at work within this world, which is why we live in such a broken world. From that very moment, God had a plan. And the plan was always Jesus. I'm going to read a few verses here in Ephesians 3, uh, verse 1 to 3. And, um, and uh, what we normally do is that we read a little passage and then uh, we'll, we'll highlight a few things out of that. But Ephesians 3, 1 to 3 says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, As I have written briefly, when you read this, you perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, all people, not just the Jews, not just Israel, the covenant people of God from the Old Testament, but now all people are fellow heirs So that everybody would know what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Who created all things. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Come on, which is for your glory. Paul's letters are always weighty. They're always, even Peter, I love this, that in the scriptures, Peter writes about Paul's letters and he says, they're weighty and difficult to understand. (laughs) Like Peter was just a fisherman. And then you read a passage like this one and he's like, okay, Paul, break it down, please. I need to understand what you're going on about. But there's such a poetical sense to Paul's writing that sometimes his sentences just get longer and longer and longer. It's like when he comes to the end of what he wants to say, it just extends a little further because he's actually delving into those unsearchable riches. It actually goes infinitely deep, infinitely deep. And yet it's so simple. And so the first thing he mentions is that he is a prisoner of Christ on behalf of the Gentile or the non-Jewish nations. And that wasn't a figure of speech. He's actually in prison. It's the prison letters. He's paying a price to be able to take the gospel to those that do not know it because it is such good news. He would ultimately pay the price of giving up his own life as countless others have done. From the moment they have met Jesus, You know, it's not just a religion because no one's gonna die for their religion. This is something they believe to the core of who they are and who we are when we encounter Jesus. Countless, countless, countless missionaries have died. And unlike other religions, not to end the lives of others, but to save them. They are that dad in the ring. We become that dad in the ring. And so Paul says, I am a prisoner of Christ. He goes on to say that he is a steward of, Of God's grace that God has given him for the sake of others. And that word steward is actually an interesting word because it means to be appointed as a manager over someone else's estate with delegated authority. And so when God gives us grace and when God gives us a call over our lives, like he has given to every single one of us, he is delegating a gifting to us that we are supposed to manage and encourage and stir up and use for its intended purpose as good stewards of God's grace. It's not that, this, that I'm brilliant or that I'm amazing or that I've done a thousand things. No, I'm just a steward of the gift that God has given me for you. Isn't that amazing that Paul realizes that his life is not about him? That's the gift of self-forgetfulness. We've said this oftentimes, but C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. It's, it's, everything isn't about you. Where our entire world is preaching its own gospel that tells you that your life is about you. How much money can you make? How much success can you have? How much power can you gain? How much can you do in this time that you have on earth? How much fun can you have? How much can you spend on your own pleasures and your own luxury and your own comfort? And the gospel comes, turns things upside down, which is the right side up that says, he who is the least shall be first. Your life is not about you. That's how you know that God's grace is at work in your own life. When slowly but surely, without you maybe even recognizing it, you are less and less about you and more and more about others. This is what Paul's saying, saying, I have God's grace in my life. I'm a prisoner right now, but it's not for me, it's for you. And I'm stewarding this gift on my life because I know that God has got something amazing for you. Paul is a prisoner literally for the sake of preaching the gospel to the Gentile world. And in this way, is he not being like Jesus? Is he not being like the Father who would give himself up for the sake of others? God gave himself up because he loved the world. He so loved the world that he gave up his only son. And we get to live like Jesus where we give ourselves up for the sake of those who need to hear the gospel. We take the hits so that other lives may be saved. And so sometimes in pursuing our calling and doing what God has called us to do there's a little bit of suffering involved. Hey staff, guys. There's a little bit of hardship. You take some knocks, you take some hits. But it's it's glorious. Because we get to do what Jesus did for us for others. We get to help them experience God's grace. We get to be the ones who build the bridge, who reach out, who love, who uh, go to the unreachable and touch the untouched and, 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 and share the message. And we're all included in this. We get to love God and live for others. That's the, that's the highest end in life. This message, this gospel, this great opportunity to live in that way was a mystery to generations of people who had no idea how God was going to save them. But it was God's plan all along for it to be revealed in the person of Jesus. Jesus is everything God ever wanted to say. And he chose to then echo that message and reveal that goodness and continue that story through, get this, mind-blowing fact, through you and I. Not through special people on TV or others that are running churches in other places. Literally through the person sitting to your left and the person sitting to your right, through us as a community, as a people, he shares this incredible mystery and the unsearchable riches of Christ through through uh, through us to this world. We are the mouthpiece of God. We are the voices crying out in the wilderness. And it includes every single one of us. People from every nation and tongue and tribe. No, regardless of your social status or your background or your language. So that collectively, we can make the mystery of Christ known. That's the mission of the church. Ephesians 3, 8 to 9, just to repeat that little bit there. He says, Paul says, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so this was God's plan all along. We are the most privileged of generations that we get to take those riches and that mystery and this incredible plan of how God would save us And we get to share it with the world. Hey, can I ask you, any single Old Testament prophet, no matter how powerful they were, Elijah himself would 100% trade seats with Janine this morning or with Tian this morning or with any of you this morning. 100%. Elijah would say, I get to know the mystery of how God is going to bring salvation to the world and Preach it to every nation on the planet. Count me in. Let's switch. I'll trade all the miracles that God used me to do. The calling of fire down from the sky and the defeating of the prophets of Baal and all the various things, the splitting of the Jordan and whatever I did. I would trade all of that right now to trade seats with any one of you so that I too can be one of those privileged few They get to share the mystery of the gospel and the plan of God hidden through the ages with the people of this time. And how many times do we not even invite a friend to church? Do we not even speak to someone? You find out that somebody's sick and you're like, oh, shame, man, I hope you feel better. You know, real South African, oh, shame, oh, shame. You say that overseas, people thinking like, what did I do? Why am I being shamed? It's like, shame, shame. They do that in Italy when you're playing rugby and the ref makes a bad call. Everybody goes, shame, shame. (laughs) But we get to be the ones. We get to be the ones to share this message and help bring it to light for everyone. I want to encourage you this morning. Never be ashamed to share the gospel. Never be ashamed to share the good news. Even if people have heard of Jesus, I promise you they've, Most likely heard a false idea of Jesus. Doesn't matter where it is. When God gives you the opportunity, share the gospel. Because even though it seems like foolishness to those who are perishing, to a world that is quickly passing away, it is the power of God unto those who believe. It changes lives, it restores hearts, it does miracles in the soul of a person and we get to be the ones who administer that grace like the healing balm of Gilead. We get to put the healing balm on the wound of their soul and see God do a miracle through us. I kept reading the chapter. As I got to this next statement, it stopped me in my tracks and it's actually where I got the title of today's message from, Technicolored Grace. In Ephesians 3, verse 10, it says, so that God did this mystery. This is the plan. God's gonna use us as the church. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That phrase, the manifold wisdom, it just caught my attention. And so I did some research on that word in the original Greek. And that word manifold means many and varied having many features and forms wrought in various colors, diversified, intricate, complex, and many-sided. God's wisdom in this extraordinary plan of salvation is seen in this new and mysterious creation of the church. Doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people, but it's incredibly mysterious and beautiful. It is multifaceted. It is many-colored. It is culturally diverse. It is rich and a beautiful community of believers. This is the wisdom of God that he would use us as the church. There's no other human co-op like it on planet Earth. According to Bible commentators, the manifold wisdom of God is poetic and artistic, an artistic expression suggesting the intricate nature of an embroidered pattern as in Joseph's tunic of many colors. And so all of a sudden, my, my thoughts went to Andrew Lloyd Webber and you know the multicolored dream coat and the, the, this tunic of many colors. And I started to think about Joseph. Many of you would have heard the story of Joseph, but how being the youngest born, how uh, the, the, the youngest or the last born out of the 12 uh, sons of Israel, um, his father Israel, comes to him and gives him this cloak of many colors. All of a sudden, I wanted to know, what does the cloak of many colors represent? And what it ultimately represents is the favor of God, the grace of God, the, the love of God, but also it signifies someone who is to rule the clan. In the, it would have been an indication that this is the one who will rule in the days to come. And how it's described, this coat of many colors, is actually as light shines through water or through a raindrop or through a prism. And as the light hits it, it spreads out in a rainbow of many colors. And in the same way as God's grace and favor is laid upon the church, the Bible says that those who have put on Christ have, or those who have been baptized have put on Christ like the putting on of new clothes. As God's grace hits his church, it reflects out to the world as technicolored grace. Not only does God save people like me, he saves people like you and people like you and people like you. And people like every one of us. It's multifaceted. We're all included. We all get to reflect the beauty of God's grace in its many colors. If you think about Joseph, he had that coat. He was a type of Jesus, he was the son of Israel, the son of the Father. But then he was betrayed, he was stripped of that coat and cast into a pit, even as Jesus laid down his rights as God and was ultimately arrested and thrown into a cell after having been betrayed by his own brothers. He was then bound hand and foot. Joseph was sold into slavery and Jesus became a captive in the world he created. He was led to places he did not want to go, a slave in a foreign land. And even though he was righteous, and even though Joseph acted righteously in Port of his house, he was falsely accused, even as Jesus was falsely accused. Joseph was thrown in prison for three years and forgotten. Jesus was in the tomb for three days, and they thought he was gone. But at the right time, Joseph was brought from that prison to ultimately speak the, the truth of God And rule from the right hand side of Pharaoh. And in the same way, Jesus was raised from the dead to become the name above every name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to sit at the right hand of God, having power and all authority over every created thing. And at the end of the day, when Joseph saw his brothers that had betrayed him, he did not condemn them. He did not put them to death. But he said what the enemy intended for evil, you, God has used for good. It's so that you may be saved. Joseph ends up saving his family from the famine by allowing them to come into his country. In that same way, when Jesus looked at the people who had just nailed him to that cross. He said, God, forgive them because they know not what they do. He forgave the very ones who crucified him. He did not come to condemn, but to save. And you know, you might have condemned Christ in your own mind, with your own words or through your own actions. But he doesn't look at you this morning and say, God, condemn them. While we were yet sinners, He gave Himself for us. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The coat of many colors, the prism, the glory, and the favor of God that shines on us and through us as technicolored grace, multifaceted, all-inclusive, love and favor of God made known. And every single one of us in this building today As members of the body of Christ manifest a different aspect of the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of God's image. So that together, church, regardless of your race this morning, regardless of your background this morning, together we represent perfect harmony and diversity in Christ. The many features and forms and colors of fellowship in the church reflect the manifold wisdom of God. And I want to end on this because this is beautiful. There's a little end to that verse that might seem a little different because not only do we reveal this grace of God shining on us to a world that doesn't know God, but we get to reveal this bombshell truth as that verse says, to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Rulers and authorities, the previous chapter talks about the spirit of the prince of the air, Satan and his demonic forces that are at work within those who disobey God, those that are following the course of this world. And you know, the enemy thought that he had you. He thought he was gonna be able to destroy you. He thought that, What He would throw at you would be enough to discourage you to the point of giving up. But even to Him, and even to every demonic force that has ever come against your life, and every plan of the enemy that has ever attempted to take you down, the glory and the favour of God on you reveals God's grace, even to Satan. He thought He would own you and that you would be a slave of sin forever, but when Christ shines on us, even Satan knows this one belongs to God. This one belongs to God. We cannot touch them, we cannot destroy them. They have authority. The multifaceted grace of God is alive within them. Every aspect of your life is covered by this grace. Even the rulers and authorities in heavenly places will realize in a moment oh no! This was God's plan all along. We should have seen it coming. We had no idea God would be able to save people in this way. They're no longer dead, no longer slaves to sin, no longer ours to destroy as we wish. No, instead they are under grace. And as those under grace, we have boldness and access through our faith in Jesus with confidence to stand before God. So Paul says, don't worry about my suffering. In fact, don't worry about your suffering. You belong to God. You belong to God. It's just another opportunity for more of that ultimate plan for God's technicolored grace to be revealed through your life. It's for your glory. God's gonna do amazing things as a result of what you're going through. In Christ, we triumph over all of it. We're not slaves to, the, to this world. Your life reveals the manifold wisdom of God as you wear His technicolored grace, putting His glory on display so others may know and believe. We are a spiritual organization covered by the grace of God. Amen? We are a powerful, even though sometimes peculiar people. How can we have such unity in the midst of such diversity? Well, Christ has shone on us. That's the gospel. That's the message that God has for us. And even the devil knows it. Amen? Amen. Why not you stand with me this morning as we pray?